I cannot deny his imminence. And I testify to my joy that he is near me because I have been born again to a new life in Christ. God indwells me by the Holy Spirit. He knows me like no other. He comforts me in his grief. He loves me. He encourages and admonishes me. But he is not my buddy, nor do I dare to stroll casually into his presence without acknowledging who he is. So you see those contrasting aspects of his transcendence, but also his imminence. If there is no one like the Lord our God, where can people get an accurate view of him? God reveals himself in two ways. One way is available to everyone, and we identify that way of knowing God as general revelation. All you have to do is look around at the natural world, and you discover, as in Romans 1, what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. In other words, some aspects of God's attributes can be seen by anyone in this general revelation. This is um, in addition with the creation of man in God's image. There's also a conscience from which every man gets a concept of right and wrong. Even though that conscience is corrupted now because of Adam's fall in the garden in Genesis 3. We in Northwest Arkansas have just come through one of the most beautiful seasons in Arkansas. I think today we got, okay, that's the end of that. The changing of the colors. I hope you were here early enough to see the slideshow of autumn pictures taken by our own Barbara Hinton. We'll run them again afterward. Surely watching those slides, you thought of God's divine nature and creation. Why different colors? Why majestic storm clouds? Why waterfalls rolling over steep bluffs? I promise you those artistic scenes were not painted by Mother Nature, but by our Creator, God. They bring Him pleasure, and they bring us pleasure. I doubt Barbara Hinton would say that she had anything to do with creating her subject matter. In addition, I doubt she would say the pictures are the autumn scenery. They are but pictures of the foliage and the skies and the water. Wouldn't you agree that being out in the surrounding leaves and waterfalls and fallen logs are better? Let's see, would be is better. Being out in the is better than having pictures of these created things. In the same way, actually experiencing the love and faithfulness and patience of God is better than just hearing about those qualities from me or anyone else. But I've been charged today with the systematic theology topics of the attributes of God. Attributes of God are simply his character qualities. And as other speakers at our Women's Institute have stated, this topic cannot be covered in 45 minutes. Perhaps a better title for this topic might be Some of the Attributes of God. I actually um, had someone give to me a list one time of uh, the attributes of God in alphabetical order. There were over 250 things on that list. So it must be impossible to research a comprehensive list of the attributes of God. 
I don't have COVID either, but thankfully there's nobody sitting over here. But I'm hoping my talk, Barbara's pictures, and your interactive work at the end of my teaching will give you desire for more. The psalmist writes, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that, I will, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. Let us gaze toward the beauty of the Lord this morning. You know, we do not have to wait until we see God face to face to know him. We have a wealth of God's very words where God has revealed himself to his people in the scriptures. This is called special revelation. Think of the passages I mentioned today and the passages on your handouts or the Exodus or Roman studies you might be involved in or the BTI course you are taking as being God revealing himself to you. If you think that way instead of just academically, you will begin to know God more intimately. How sad to willingly neglect the word of God and miss his revelation to us. In addition to learning about and experiencing the person of God through scripture, the word of God is practical in serving as a guide and a guard for our lives. We read that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. If we are to know about God and know intimately, we have these two provisions from God. You look around at creation. That's his general revelation. And uh, when we search the scriptures, we soon find out, as Moses proclaimed to Pharaoh, that indeed there is no one like the Lord our God. Does that statement pique your curiosity, hearing there's no one like him? If not, you might ask yourself, why not? Is it because you think you know all that stuff and it has become boring to you? Or is it because you like Pharaoh, like don't have any interest in really in knowing him? But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. I am assuming you are here because you do have some interest in knowing this God of the Bible. Every time I read through the Bible, I'm struck by how many times God states that he wants us to know him. Whether it's through Moses proclaiming God's purposes in Exodus, Ezekiel pronouncing the judgments in his prophecies, or Paul explaining their unknown God to the Athenians, as Taylor read to us just a few minutes ago. Sadly, most of us have gods we have created, even if they may not be as blatant as those carved images created by the ancients that Isaiah tells us about in chapter 44. Listen carefully to this. I laugh almost every time I hear this at how ridiculous it is. So here's this ancient person. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and he bakes bread with this cedar. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it on this, from the same cedar. Half of the cedar he burns in the fire. Over that half he eats the meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. 
and the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. We laugh at the foolishness of this. But when have you, or I, nourished a thought, or a person, a hobby, or a bank account to the point it becomes more central to our lives than the God who gifted us with those very things? Sure, we put that thought aside for a couple of hours on Sunday morning, or we give some of our money in the offering plate, but God says he desires steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. He actually wants us, all of us, not our token offerings. Paul writes in Romans, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The sweet realization you can have about this is that when you do give yourself fully to God, rather than to these idols you have created, he fulfills your deepest desire, which is actually God himself. Delight yourself in the Lord, the psalmist says, and I affirm, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And then in Job we read, Then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver, for then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. Can you say this about God, that you delight in him? Okay, friends, let's buckle up and get specific about some of the specific attributes of God, realizing that knowledge and instruction alone will not make us see him like he is, nor will that make us like him. We will need to sit and meditate on his true words and ask God to make himself clear to us. This is what will bring us our greatest joy. So what about God makes him beautiful to behold, worthy of the praise of the psalmist, more valuable than gold and silver, and the object of our closing doxology today? We attempt to describe God by defining his characteristics. Just how should one approach this inexhaustible topic of God's attributes? Scholars have different ways of categorizing God's attributes. But for our purposes today, I'm going to refer first to a few of God's incommunicable attributes. Those are the attributes which only our triune God possesses. The last time I talked on the attributes of God, our pastor announced the topic in the evening service the week before and said, Catherine Brill was going to talk about such things as a seity. So I had to go home that night (laughs) and look up what that word was. I decided I was going to start with that attribute this time um, so that Brad would know I was listening. Uh, I've also learned that there's actually a place on YouTube to hear pronunciations of words, like a seity. I mean, I looked at it. I thought it was a seity, but it's a seity, if that woman that said said it correctly. Aseity means specifically the absolute self-sufficiency, independence, and autonomy of God. I think this term must kind of refer also to the I am we first hear at the burning bush. God was not created. He is self-existent. According to Jesus, 
For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. God doesn't need anything. As Paul explains in Acts 17, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. This self-sufficiency, independence, and autonomy is totally unlike us who are dependent on God for every breath we take. And he does provide everything we need because God created everything and he owns it all. We have no rights before him except what he has graciously given to us. It is our responsibility to steward what he has given us. Which do you worship? Our great God or the gifts God gives you? (coughs) Are you beginning to see why Moses was asked to take off his sandals on the holy ground where he had bowed? In the presence of his creator, the father Abraham, father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Will your hearts bow before this self-existent God when we come together to worship tomorrow? Next, I wonder, with all the attention paid to superheroes these days, if people have forgotten there actually is a real God who is omnipotent and who actually does do mighty needs, deeds, accomplish all of his purposes, and utterly save his people for eternity. All-powerful means God's power is infinite. Omnipresent means God's presence is infinite. Omniscience would mean, then, that God's knowledge has no limits. From Psalms again, we hear the admonition to praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. This is the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead, proving God had accepted his sacrifice and payment for sin. Other miracles such as healing, changing water into wine, or casting out demons all illustrate the power of God. Jesus says several times himself, nothing is impossible with God. You might be thinking that you don't see miracles like that today. So let's insert another attribute at this point, immutability. God never changes. According to Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whoever God revealed himself to be in the Old Testament, he was the same in the New Testament and remains the same today. Brad asked us just last week if we believe God can work in a miraculous way and admonished us not to give up since God remains in control as he always has been. Sadly, according to a recent survey by Ligonera Ministries, 48% of evangelicals believe that God actually does change. They have not been attending Women's Institute, I can tell you that. Unlike us, God never breaks his promises, never changes his plan or purpose. He never lies. Whereas we are a people in process, God is a perfect, complete being. Recently, we read in our sermon series in Numbers, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? 
We as believers can always depend on our unchanging God to be true to who he says he is. Consider now how God's infinity affects every other attribute. Infinity means without limits. When we referred to God's immutable character just now, I said he never changes. When we referred to God's self-existence, we could have said he has no beginning and no end. Are you beginning to see how difficult it would be to separate God's attributes from one another? I like the way that Lee Morton described God's attributes being not like pieces of a pie, but like being all the ingredients in a pie. Leave any of God's attributes out, and you don't have the God of the Bible. (coughs) Always remember that no matter which attribute we are thinking about, God always is that attribute, and he always is that attribute fully with every other attribute. He is never exhibiting one attribute to the exclusion of the other or another. This is because God's attributes describe the very unified essence of his character. Who he is, even though we may be perceiving or praying for the display of a particular attribute, he remains unified. There is no contradiction or imbalance among God's attributes because for him all attributes are one. All of God does all that God does. He is always fully immutable and omnipotent and every other attribute at the same time. So let's turn to God's sovereignty. God is our sovereign with capital S. He reigns over his kingdom. Not like uh, King Charles of Great Britain who reigns as a constitutional monarch, our God is the absolute monarch. Deny him or disobey him at your own peril because God reigns supreme. Whatever he determines or decrees happens. The wages of sin is death because it offends his justice, which is part of his pure holiness and righteousness and sovereignty. But sovereignty also means he is the blessed controller of all things. This is extremely comforting because God is a good sovereign. His plans are perfect. Perhaps all of you control freaks, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, recognize that unlike God, even some of your best laid plans have gone awry. In the end, you discover that God knew circumstances of which you were unaware, and you were so thankful that your plans did not happen. Oh, to avoid all that stress and angst and just trust our sovereign God in the first place. In reality, we do not always see everything turning out for our good and his glory. But God cannot, he will not do otherwise. We, on the other hand, are short-sighted and only seeing things from our limited perspective. Now, if all these attributes are those that belong to God alone, remember there's no one like the Lord our God, Why do we think we are self-sufficient, omnipotent, and sovereign? And here's some examples. Ask yourself, do you ever abandon your prayer life thinking you don't need God? Maybe you're not saying that, but doesn't that demonstrate that? Do you avoid Christian community thinking you don't need God's provision of the church? 
Do you demonstrate a lack of humility, worshiping self instead of the one true God? Instead of submitting to our sovereign Lord, we so often act like we are in charge of our own little kingdom. This is what rebellion has always looked like since the first time in the garden when Adam and Eve decided they wanted to be like God. They were the first to tarnish the image in whom God had made them. That inclination in sin is still present in all of mankind. Maybe you do not identify with bad Adam and Eve and do not consider yourself to be in rebellion against the one true God who created you, who I I am describing today. But rebellion is defined as opposition to one in authority. Think if you have ever even once exhibited disobedience, willfulness, or insubordination. This has been the stance of every single person who has ever existed except for God himself. Thankfully, God provided a remedy for that condemnation demanding rebellion. He sent Jesus to live a life free of rebellion and exhibiting moral perfection. When Jesus was unjustly condemned to death by human authorities, he met the requirements of God's justice by offering his body and his blood as a substitute for yours. Friends, if you have responded to that truth of the gospel with repentance for your rebellion and faith in the finished work of Jesus, God has come to live within you in the person of God, the Holy Spirit. You have begun a new life in Christ, and God has promised to complete that good work he began in you. One of the ways God completes his work in you is to develop in you his communicable attributes. So remember, incommunicable attributes describe God alone. Those are attributes only God possesses, whereas communicable attributes are qualities God has, but also grows in us. What does that mean practically? It means that you will begin to look like him. So why is it, whenever I look in the mirror, it doesn't seem like I look much like God? I can be encouraged by what Paul tells me in 2 Corinthians. I do not lose heart, because though my outer self is wasting away, my inner self is being renewed day by day. How can that be? We know from Genesis 1 that God made man in his image after his likeness. But Adam and Eve were not satisfied by that and listened to the lies of the serpent. Our renewal is made possible only by the work of Christ. And now I can grow in Christ's likenesses in the area of holiness, goodness, long-suffering, and faithfulness, and mercy. All the ways my character needs improvement in the areas God shares with his followers. Let's look at another side of God's holiness, which is people can exhibit. You remember I said we, we can't be ever transcendent or the I am. But there are ways in which uh, we can have holiness, and he asks us to do that. When he sent Jesus to live a perfect life, he demonstrated his righteousness clearly in the person of Jesus. Righteousness is the moral ethical aspect of God's holiness. We are sinners and we cannot be in his presence. But when we became Christians, Christ imputed his righteousness to us, and so we are righteous positionally right now. 
When we see him in eternity, we will be righteous without the presence of sin. But while we live in this in-between time, this already but not yet stage, we are becoming righteous through our sanctification. This is a very practical aspect of what we strive for in our everyday lives. Not to earn God's favor, but out of gratitude and deep desire to please him and reflect him to others. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And in 1 Peter, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. We recognize this righteous aspect of holiness must be a possibility for God's people because he prescribed it in both the Old and New Testaments. Some synonyms for our holiness include blessedness, devoutness, godliness, saintliness. If we have become God's children through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, then we have certainly been blessed and set apart as saints. I'm sure we, as Christ's followers, also desire to live a devout and godly life with God's help. It is God himself that even gives us that desire to do that. Earlier, I asked what we thought, why we thought we were self-sufficient, omnipotent, and sovereign. Why is it that we try to be in control instead of trying to be more patient or loving? You don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to be more loving, but we do wake up sometimes and say, I've got to take control of this situation today. Why is it that we strive to be self-sufficient instead of striving to be holy and merciful? When we get these priorities out of order, we are grasping to be God instead of trying to develop character traits God has shared with us. All right, I've been talking about the attributes of God for about a half hour. Is this the God you know? Or is, is your view of God one that you have painted the way you want him to be? Is he a God of your preferences? Or is he a God of truth and incomparable light? I've saved this following attribute for last, even though it is an incommunicable attribute. I haven't mentioned the fact that God is actually incomprehensible. But the truth is that he is God and we are not. Therefore, we're not going to understand all of his ways, no matter how many lectures we might attend. According to the prophet Isaiah, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Paul states this truth in these words in Romans. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. And I'd also like to point you, and I had this on the back of my handouts to um, hymns that we sing on a regular basis at UBC, one of which is God moves in a mysterious way. But um, I think it'd be good, especially that, since we're meditating on the idea of his attributes, to, you know, when, when we're reading the hymns in the morning, you know, how do these um, demonstrate who God is? I think our Good hymn writers must also be good theologians. But 
just thinking about how God is incomprehensible, we ask why about a lot of things, and we get frustrated when we can't find all the answers. One of my favorite verses that helped me with this is Deuteronomy 29, 29, where it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may be doing all the words of the law. Let's do all the words of his law that have been revealed to us. Let's continue to teach them to others. I think we get so wound up in not knowing the answer to this, or why did this happen, or you know, how am I going to find this out, that we don't do all the things we do know to do. So before we start complaining, maybe we better start doing what we know. There's a, um, one of the lines in Psalm 119 says, May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. I've, uh, we've shown you several of the, these books that are uh, good resources. I highly recommend that you begin building your permanent library at home. Because these, I think all those ones that we uh, reference today are ones that you'll return to over and over again. That you can share with others as you disciple with others. Um, I don't think that um, online totally you know, does that. So um, start building a library. Give, give books as gifts. And then for all of you sports fans out there, which I guess there's not very many here today, when you're watching commercials for Dr. Pepper or Aflac or Verizon Mobile this weekend, I know you'll be connecting them with various athletes. But much more importantly, I pray you'll begin to reflect on God's attributes and the beautiful character as you read Numbers 29 in preparation for our gathering tomorrow. I pray God's character will be evident in you as you begin to prepare for BTI or your women's Bible study this week. And I pray that you yourself will be a reflection of God's character as he graciously begins to grow his love and patience and faithfulness in you. It should be obvious to others because there is no one like the Lord our God. Therefore, you will look differently. You will be distinct from the culture around you. Sisters, let us also watch for signs of his grace in one another and be reminders and encourages to one another as we grow in Christ-likeness in our church body. So pray with me to that end, please. Jeremiah spoke, Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows God. He knows that God is the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. And Lord, let us encourage one another as we see evidences of your grace in one another. We pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. So now we're going to engage with one another as we uh, go ahead and look at your handouts. And I am 
again, thankful for the sovereignty of God. If you just think about what took place this last week, we actually had guest speaker Don Whitney um, help us see how to read scripture and pray through scripture. We're going to do something sort of like that this morning. I'm going to have you go over to the tables in just a minute and what we're going to do is, um, there is this Psalm 19, and as you know from Don Whitney or just your own experience, you can use any psalm or actually any portion of the Bible, but um, just for us to practice today. Uh, go, ahead, go ahead and read through this, and you'll circle uh, attributes that you see there of God. Now, some of them are named, and some of them might just be implied. So it might describe uh, something that God does. Well, what does that show about his character? In the beginning, you know, as you worship God, you're worshiping him for who he is, his character. And then naturally, because of his character, he's going to do certain things, and we want want to thank him for those. And then finally, use uh, these attributes to intercede on your own behalf or those of uh, someone else. So, anyway, as we go to our tables, you'll circle the attributes, maybe jot them down, and then um, discuss those, what you found together. So, somebody at the table is going to have to be a self-appointed leader. It's going to be big girls. And then, after you've discussed and gotten those attributes, then take a minute and use those to uh, write out a prayer to God. I don't know how many of you have done this, but I, I find that actually writing out a prayer helps a lot to focus. And um, you'll say things sometimes in there that you might not say in, in public, in person. So, um, And then those of you that are willing to share it, you know, share it at your table. I think that will be encouraging to one another. And just like I said, it'll help you see evidences of grace in your sister's lives. Thank you. I'm going to go ahead and just close this up. Um, Catherine, we're super encouraged by just even the exercise of thinking through who God is um, in that passage as we meditate on it, and then you get it, and then being able to have an opportunity to pray through it together and the different things that we as sisters in Christ get to see in the Word, which is just a wonderful exercise, I think, for us in family together, too. So thank you for helping us, and we're so grateful for the way you labored over over that um, to be able to bring to us today. I, I do want to double up on what she was saying about discipling resources, um, using these books uh, in the lives of each other. I really uh, want to encourage you that if you're not meeting up with somebody or, or, or having any of that, to seek that out. Um, and it doesn't have to be uh, <clears throat> like somebody that you feel like it knows everything or you don't need to feel like you know everything, just get together with another sister in Christ and read a book together. It's very, very simple. Um, and I'd really encourage you, if you're not doing that, to, to take that on. Our next Women's Institute will be in January, and we're going to be thinking about the doctrine of the providence of God. Very light things. Nothing, nothing heavy. No, but um, I'm sure it'll be a wonderful opportunity for us to think, I mean, what would we do if we thought that our future was just whatever? But the fact that we know that our future is being held by a secure God, the God we heard about today, 
what a wonderful thing for us. And we'll get a chance to meditate more on that in January. We don't have a date yet. We think maybe January 14th, but we'll get that together and get it to you soon. And then lastly, this is a really early announcement, but our women's retreat, we do have a speaker and a date. So um, Beth Barris is going to be coming to us. She's a pastor's wife, writer, teacher out in California that I've known for a while. And um, she's going to be coming April 21st to the 22nd. So set your calendar aside for that. Thank you.